0: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joshua, the world's mayor. So blessed to see you all today. Um, I am going to do a new broadcast today, obviously, because I'm here behind a mic talking right now. But this is actually a follow-up from the last broadcast uh, that crapped up. It was the broadcast that we were talking about civil commitments, and we're reading an article from Barbara, who has been investigating the absolute horrors of, I didn't say whore, horrors, which sounds the same coming from me for some reason, horrors, the frightening aspects of civil commitment. These civil commitment laws that are breaking every law uh, known to man. And one of the biggest ones is double jeopardy. But there's so much more. I mean, the more I talk to people from around the country, in fact, even though that last broadcast about 45 minutes in just became scrambled just chaos noise and you couldn't make out any word. The first 45 minutes of it evidently like struck a nerve with some people. Um, I want to make this clear. I never in my wildest dreams that I would be going down this avenue of talking about civil commitment laws because frankly I'd never even heard of it until I met a man named Tom on Twitter. And uh, this last year has been very very wild and I have learned quite a bit I've learned enough to know that what's happening behind these walls of the I think it's 20 states that have civil commitment laws and I could be messing that up because there's a lot of facts figures and numbers uh, that I'm reading every day that are starting to blend together a bit but here's what I know there's this these civil commitment laws have to end and um, yeah I know there's guilty People There's people that have been sex offenders that um, have shown no remorse, no desire to get well, and they want to continue to do evil. Maybe they, you know, they belong maybe in a special place, but from everything I'm learning about these hospitals slash shadow prisons, they've got to end. There's a lot of innocent lives that are being runned. Uh There's people that are not getting access to appropriate health care. And frankly, these laws are unconstitutional and I'm not a constitutional expert. So that's why a lot of the opinions I have, I'm trying to refrain from giving because at this point, I've gotten to know a lot of the men a lot. That's an exaggeration. That's not true. I've gotten to know a few of the men behind bars and I've gotten to know their families too. And, uh and then also some on the outside. And their stories are all matching up. I mean, obviously, give or take a few, what do you call it, overindulgences of truth. I mean, I'm sure there's some of that. But for the most part, a lot of the stories are matching up, enough for me to go, okay, there's a problem here. So I wanna do my part. Look, I believe this is what I believe, and no one's told me to say this, and I don't even know that it's 100% accurate. But what I believe, from what I've seen, is that the people that are behind the civil commitment laws are also the same people that are kind of allowing the CPS crimes to happen, the, the foster care abuses, the, the trafficking that is going on. I think it all ties back to the same people sex offenders, human trafficking, (laughs) CPS, it doesn't sound like it connects. But the more that I'm seeing, the more I'm realizing that I think this all leads to the same head of the snake. And I don't know it for a fact, but it just feels that way. And there's obviously some type of cover-up going on. And I know it sounds woo-woo conspiracy, a little bit wild, but the more I learn, the more that I can't ignore it. And today, because again, not I don't want to read I'm not gonna read Barbara's article again, but I found something from an attorney that is worth leaving uh, reading. It's an article Michael L. Perlin from a New York law school. Uh, he wrote this, I don't even know the exact date, but he's from New York law school. Looks like nineteen ninety eight was when this was written. And so I am going to read some of it. It's 30 pages long. I'm not going to go into all of it, but I'm going to read you from his perspective what he's thinking. And the, the main reason why I want to read until I get more guests on to talk about this is I want to deal in facts and I want to deal and use uh, more educated people on the subject's words to inform you. Because the one thing that I know is that most of the public has never even heard of 90% of what these articles are talking about. <laughs> I was at a Minnesota Vikings football game yesterday and uh, I was blessed to get invited to go by my neighbor and just speaking with them. And you know, there, there was a group of seven of us and there wasn't a single person that had even heard of any of these institutions, even the civil commitment laws. and And, and, and a lot of the things that come with it, they were just like, it was like I was speaking a foreign language to them. And that's alarming. And it's alarming because there's a lot of injustices that are happening right underneath our noses that most of us don't even know about. And if we did, I think they're crazy enough or big enough injustices that maybe people would get motivated to fight or not like with weapon. Well, I mean, I guess if it came to that, but <laughs> I'm not suggesting violence. What I actually am suggesting is that, or I'm hoping, is to inspire a desire, an unrelenting desire to find out the truth about what's going on, because I believe that uncovering this truth will uncover many other truths, and that's part of why I'm doing it. But the other part of why I feel led to go down this path to to talk about civil commitment laws and, and other injustices for that matter is because people make mistakes and repentant people who make mistakes tend to do the work so that they don't make the mistake again. And The legal system is there to keep us safe, yes, and and for there to be consequences for, you know, actions that are not appropriate. But the laws are there also to go, okay, so if you get busted with cocaine, like this is gonna be your charge. If you get busted with weed, or if you abuse someone, this is the consequence. If you inappropriately touch somebody, whether they're above age or not, there's consequences. But when people fulfill their obligation to the consequences and then are unjustly thrown back in to a shadow prison, there's a problem there. And so without giving too much more of my commentary, I just want to say, if you continue watching, and I hope you do, I pray that you have an open mind and an open heart. And, and I hope that maybe You learn something, you learn enough that you're willing to join in this fight. Because it's not so much about protecting sex offenders. It's not about protecting anyone except for protecting what's right and doing the right thing. And it's also about freeing innocent people. And it's also about holding our government accountable for the very rules that they set. It's not like our government, by the way, follows the rules that they make. It's not like they actually follow the Constitution. <laughs> they just change it whenever they want. So with that said, I mean, why even fight? Because if they can just keep changing the rules as they please, or they don't, they can ignore the rules, what are we fighting against? Well... I believe that if we want change, we can't sit back and wait for someone else to do it. We have to do it. We have to be the change. And while I'm not favoring any particular person in, in, in this fight, I'm not, I am wanting to deliver the truth. And there's some serious injustices happening that have got to stop. Because the thing is, That while other people can go, well, I'm not a sex offender, I've got nothing to worry about. Well, there's people that aren't sex offenders that are locked in these very prisons for crap that you do every day and don't even think twice about. It's pretty scary. So, without further ado, we'll get into Michael's article after this. time it reminds me well give you some context here hold on let me see if i can find it well i don't have that picture up dadgummit well let me show you this so this guy right here in the suit and tie that's me obviously i wanted to be a talk show host my whole life like that's what i wanted to do that and well be a QVC host too because for some reason talking about products really excites me. But this is like a dream for me and I grew up listening to talk shows and watching talk shows and infomercials and this is all I ever wanted to do and so getting this opportunity is a huge blessing for me. I was influenced by shock jocks of course that I never thought I would become one for Jesus um, but then I also never thought I'd be covering these subjects and uh, Because when I initially had the dream, like I wanted to be a famous talk show host, like Howard Stern, wanted to speak all over the world. But I also wanted to help people, too. And, you know, it's funny when God gets a hold of you, changes your heart a little bit or or a lot. And, And then things change. And then I wanted to be a voice for the voiceless and then elevate other voices for the voiceless. And I'm proud of the work that we do at the Live Mono Worldwide Foundation and this network. And our mission, I mean, our goal was just to serve. And, you know, not sell things, not sell services, but just be a service. And whether it's, you know, to people that have been chemsex addicts like me and abusers and abused and mentally unique and all that stuff. Like, yeah, I wanted to help and And I wanted to share my testimony and like what God has done for me and what he's doing for me and how he's working through me to turn me a life away from the life that I lived. So, I mean, yes, we're a ministry, we're a nonprofit media organization, we're a broadcasting network. But again, like when I was doing this, I was thinking we'd be able to help millions of people all over the world. Like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have that big of an impact. And yet the path that we've been led down is a path that, well, it's not, we don't cover popular subjects talking about CPS crime and telling those stories and anti-human being, you know, a part of the anti-human trafficking movement and having former trafficking victims on and, and dealing with that. And then that crossing over to the, just some of the hidden evils in this world. It's because it's where we felt led to go. And now we're here working with forgotten? Is that the right word? The forgotten? The people that have been thrown away in these shadow prisons to rot, to not get proper medical treatment, to not get love, to not be given hope? Like, I serve a God, and look, I know some of the people that are watching this, this, that are going to be watching this specifically, don't want to hear about God well you don't get to tell me what i get to talk about i get pissed off one of the prisoners for talking about god had another guy that was trying to help one of the prisoners that i was trying to help who got mad and just quit talking to me because i talked about god well i can't help talking about god because i wouldn't be here without him and this mission that he's put on my heart to do has affected everything that i do It's effect, it affects my marriage, it affects my family life, it affects my friendships, it affects my professional life. But this is what I'm called to do. And so that video, to circle back to why I started this rant, is that leaving the 99 for the one. Why well, look at the people that are stuck in these shadow prisons? I look at the abused and the neglected. I look at the people that have been taken advantage of I look at the people that have been passed over for opportunity because they didn't want to compromise their integrity. I look at them as the one. I wanted somebody to leave the 99 for me. So now, you know, I kind of look at this as that's a reminder that I'm not here for the masses. And. And mind you, the ego side of me wants popularity and wants fame. And I want to do a world tour. I want to do my own version of The Tonight Show. I want to do all those things. But if this is my calling, then so be it. I'm happy and I'm here for all of you and anything that we can do to help elevate or amplify your voice, your mission, your passion, your purpose help you take your mess of a story and turn it into something that can help others, we're here for you. We are solely dependent on your generosity. We do a horrible job of asking for donations, but we need those to, to, to keep going. We are blessed today um, in a way that allows us to keep going for a few, you know, a little bit longer. And, but we need it but we are here to serve and we are here to use every one of our resources to be a benefit to you. I'm not trying to turn this into a telemarketing call, so I'm gonna be quiet, but we need your support. Uh, You can do so here, Uh, you can scan that, or you can just go to livemana.org or livemanaworldwide.org. either one, and uh, go to the So button, and we're right there. But your Bennett, your your support helps us keep going, but I want you to understand. It, this is not so much about being shocking, but the truth is shocking. The truth is crazy enough on its own. <laughs> like to, like I, it's so funny about being a shock jock because you know it, it was all about boob and fart jokes and penis jokes and whatever else, like just debauchery and mayhem. Like that was what was a shock jock before. But honestly, the most shocking thing in this universe right now is truth. You want to make somebody uncomfortable? Tell the truth. So that's what we're here for, is to deliver the truth. And it may make you uncomfortable. Um, In my opinion, sometimes can make people uncomfortable. But I want to do a better job of sticking to the facts so that you can make up your own mind. But what I hope to do is to inspire you to join the fight of any of the injustices that we cover. Sermon over. Let's get into Michael's article. There is no success like failure and failure is no success at all. Exposing their pretextuality, pretextuality of Kansas versus Hendrix. Here's that case again. So this is Michael. This is an introduction. Actually, do I want to do that? Yeah. I've spent my entire legal career thinking about the insanity defense. I have represented defendants who pled insanity both successfully and unsuccessfully, and those who were institutionalized after a successful insanity plea. I have taught about the insanity defense, have spoken about it endlessly, and have written about it perhaps more endlessly. The most of the recent writing and thinking has been devoted to my seeking answers to the question that I am convinced beyond doubt lies at the base of the insanity defense debate. Why do we feel the way we do about those people? Why are we so beholden to myths, to stereotypes, to medieval concepts of good and bad, of mental illness and sin? Why has the population Why has this population been seen as the most despised group of individuals in society? Guess what we're talking about? I believe that I have made some modest headway in answering some of these questions. My belief is supported by the way the media seems in the wake of the Unabomber case to be understanding some of the fundamental issues in ways that promise the possibility of new insight into this population and perhaps some coherent answers to the question I have posed. On the other hand, (coughs) on the other hand, I realize that this is a kind of, (coughs) I'm coughing because I can't pronounce that. (coughs) And I have an itch in my throat. Trompe, ole, illusion? I don't know what that says, forgive me. If we are no longer focusing on the insanity defendants as the most despised group in society, it is more likely that there is a new universe of monsters replacing them in our demonology, sex offenders, known variously as mentally disordered sex offenders or sexually violent predators, the ultimate other. The 1994 murder of Megan Kanka, within miles of my home and this subsequent flurry of Megan's law type legislation has focused the public's attention on and enmity of this category of criminal defendant the sex offender especially the ones who prey on strangers children has become the lightning rod for our fears our hatreds and our punitive urges legislation passes within days of introduction and without debate statutes are quickly upheld and we feel somehow that we are doing something to combat the most nightmarish least understandable, and least excusable criminal behavior. What we are doing is ominously returning to the days of what many of us had thought was the less than enlightened or thus discarded past. Let me blow this up a little bit. Kansas, 1st Hendricks, returns us to this past and does so with vengeance. For Hendricks, in upholding a state law sanctioning long-term institutionalization of sexually violent predators is not simply, in my mind, a constitutionally indefensible and intellectually muddled opinion. It is also pretextual opinion. Mental disability law is permeated by a kind of mere atrocious pretextuality that is often driven a contextual and amoral. The Hendricks case reflects this Textuality, and in doing so reveals to us much of what is wrong with the development of mental disability law juris prejudice jury prejudice boy I wish I had a higher vocabulary to read this attorney's letter it is this theme upon which I will focus in this article okay so I got to give some opinion here really quick I feel that that is necessary here's why we we are like as a, as a society we have a moral there's a moral decay in our, our society like first of all as being a former chem sex addict and you know in recovery always cause it, you gave me meth or cocaine right now I don't know what would happen so I like I'm not freeing myself from all that yet I don't engage in that behavior anymore but the fact is this as a Chem sex addict, well, sex was a trigger. Sometimes drugs were a trigger. And we can't escape porn now. It's everywhere. Every channel. Every channel. It's all over social media. It's like you can't avoid it. The way people dress now. It's like putting the boobies in your face. Or whatever turns you on. Like, they're, people dress to feature. As I say that with my chest hair open. I don't know who gets attracted to chest hair, but anyway, maybe that's a fetish. I don't know. But there's a moral decay and decline. And I'm all for people's freedom to express themselves in ways that don't hurt or impose on other people. Like even beliefs. Like I know some people don't like me talking about God. But this is a faith-based show. You don't have to come here. Yeah, a faith-based show that covers topics like this. Well, I'm having a swinger on Wednesday. Not that I want to date these shows, but this week, in two days from now, I'm interviewing somebody in an open relationship, a swinger, to talk about it. Why? Well, I got my reasons. That doesn't matter. But I want to elevate other people's stories. I want to share these stories because I feel that they matter. But I'm also going to do it in the way that I feel led to. So I got to talk about God. And we've gotten further away from God and what I believe God wants us to do. And the biggest evidence of any of that is our lack of identity. No one really understands or knows who they are. Do they know who their power is? And simply the proof of that is with all of the labels that are given, that we give ourselves. I'm... I have DID, I have this, I have that, my sexuality is labeled this. And like, there's just like a label for everything. And with every one of those labels comes a box that you're stuck in. I'm stuck in the box of these labels, but we're doing it to ourselves. And then on top of that, we've got this media driven narrative that is kind of helping us put us in these boxes. They're getting us to take stands on issues that really we don't have the full context of. Are you vaccinated? Are you not? Well, that's enough right there that that's destroyed families. And the truth is, the arguments that people make for either or, to be honest, eh. How do you know it's even true? How do you know it's true? Like, because that's what the news told you? Then that's a problem because now we're just taking other people's opinions and making them facts. And so with that, we don't even know what we really believe anymore. So I wanna... I mean, yeah, I guess it is my opinion that there's a moral decay in America, but I mean, I can or, it, or even in the world, but it's what I can see with my own eyes. And the other thing I'm getting at is Look, I know the damage that comes from being molested and abused, or even having your sexual innocence taken at an early age, regardless of the the age of the person that does it, it changes you. It rewires your brain. And then you add physical abuse, verbal abuse on top of it. It's not that hard to inflict trauma on people. I mean, we've all collectively as a, as a whole have experienced trauma for the last few years, especially if you're watching TV or listening to the radio or heck even watching a sports game. You can't even watch SportsCenter without someone giving you an opinion that you, if you don't believe this, then you're the enemy. No one wants to feel that way. Because in the end, we all believe what we believe for a reason. And now what does that have to do with sex offenders? Well, to me, this is like causing the problem and then ignoring it. We've taught men to not be honest. We're not honest about what we want. Like say we're in a regular relationship. We're not honest about what we want sexually. We're not honest about who we are in the relationship. Most of us don't even know who we are before we get into relationships. That's not, that's not how you have a successful relationship. Identity is everything. And so we are not taking care of abused kids the way we should. Monsters are being created because victims don't have a voice and they don't feel like they have a voice. Therefore, by not talking about the pain, the struggle, the hurt, the fear that they're experiencing, that's it's internalized and then it gets stuffed. What does it get stuffed with? Well, I stuff mine with sex and drugs, drugs and sex. Not everybody does that. Some people do it with anger. Some people do it with gambling. Some people do it with just sex. Some people do it with drugs. Some people do it with alcohol. There's a lot of different things. But the fact is there's not a safe place for abused kids to go because I don't believe for a second that anyone that's locked up in one of these shadow prisons, wasn't abused themselves. The whole way I for like began to turn my life around was the, it was forgiving my father. How did I forgive my father? Because I realized that it, I was angry at him for all the bad stuff he did. Eh. I realized that he learned it from somewhere. Because it happened to him too. And then I realized, oh, I've become just as bad. No, no, that's not true. I've become worse than him. Then I've spent all this time hating him and judging him when really it was no different. Again, worse, probably. I'm pretty confident I was worse. So where's the compassion? And it's easy to look at somebody and go, ah, they're a kid-toucher, let them die. The mind is a weird thing. Uh, you know, getting to work with a lot of former trafficking victims and people that are actually currently in that industry, in that world, that I've become friends with over the years, you learn a lot about people's secret things. I know somebody that likes to be handcuffed to a toilet and beaten by a woman and told that he is just a miserable human. That's what he gets off on. He's also gay, but he wants a woman to handcuff him and beat him. There's people that like to be peed on. I'm not saying any of this to be triggering. I'm just saying our minds when it comes to sex and our perversions and the weird stuff, like I don't know how you explain it. I don't. Like my own stuff is freaking weird, which I've talked openly about over and over again. Like it doesn't even make sense sometimes. So it's easy to sit and judge and point at people and call them monsters. But honestly, if we looked at our other people's sin or like, okay, well, what's your sin? And you compare them. It's like, how do you really, they're both pretty screwed up, pretty evil. So I think that we've got to do a better job of getting resources to people, especially when they're younger. We've got to create a safe place for the abused to go and talk, especially men. I think it's more men turn into monsters through abuse than women do, but abused women, you know, have their own struggles. But also if these hospitals, cause when you think of hospital, you think of treatment, you think of care, you think of rehabilitation, at least I would hope. Are these shadow prisons, are these treatment facilities, are they really treating or helping everything I've learned? No. And I believe, and I know that God doesn't always exist in the field of psychiatry or psychology. But I really believe that God can cure and heal anyone, especially of the traumas of our past. But if we're not giving people a fair shot at that, a fair opportunity to get the proper treatment, the proper care, what's the point of even keeping them alive? Well, I mean, there's a lot of money involved for every one of these people that stay alive. A lot of money to certain people. Maybe that's why. But I'll let you decide for yourself. Okay, done ranting, sorry. (laughs) The United States Supreme Court's decision in Hendrix is a confused and confusing opinion. Yet if the public were to be polled, I am confident that an overwhelming majority of American citizens would endorse the court's decision Upholding the statute's constitutionality and express puzzlement and outrage, the law professors, psychiatrists, and other scholars could even question the rationale of the opinion or worry about its potential constitutional implications. And that dissonance, the distance that we as professors are now removed from our fellow citizens, gives me some pause. No matter how counter majoritarian I would like my supreme court to be and I often want it to be very countermajoritarian I fear that the tensile strength of our system is always in peril if judicial declarations are simply too far removed from any kind of public political consciousness Having said this however I'm convinced that the Hendricks decision is a bad decision it is a bad law Bad social policy and bad mental health. It is a case of degraded status. It is also, as I have said, an extraordinarily pretextual decision. It is in this pretextually that requires some further consideration. My article will proceed in this manner. First, I will briefly discuss the historical roots that led to us to the world in which Hendricks could be litigated. Then I will explain what I mean by pretextuality and will show how pretextuality permeates all mental disability law. Next, I will briefly discuss the Hendricks case and then focus on the aspects that I find most troubling. Anyway, so we'll go here. Prior to the 1970s, most states had enacted statutes providing for the commitment of sexual offenders. These laws provided for indefinite, potentially lifetime institutionalization for those who were classified as repetitive and compulsive sex offenders and were commonly seen as appropriate use of police power. These laws are also premised on the therapeutic basis. They assume that mental health professionals could make accurate predictions about an offender's future behavior and that some numbers of offenders might be treatable. By 1970, there are sex offender laws in 60% of all American jurisdictions. Trusting a psychotherapist to tell the truth or to know really the facts about what's going on with somebody is in itself nutty. Think about how many people are misdiagnosed. There's there's half the population of the field of psychiatry that doesn't believe that dissociative identity disorder is a real thing, aka multiple personality disorder. They don't believe it's real. They don't even consider it to be a thing. Yet talk to somebody with it. Meet somebody with it. Watch it before your eyes. You would have a hard time not believing. I live with it. I know. And mind you, I've healed because I do the work. I still, You can still see it though. Like I'm not like I was. But it's still there. But the problem is, because of the misdiagnosis, there's people that are given schizophrenia medication for it. What do you think that does? It makes it worse. Bipolar medication, it makes it worse. Depression medication makes it worse. For that matter, even ADHD medication makes it worse. So to act like they know is bullcrap. In fact, you can go to the Museum of Psychiatry of Death in Los Angeles and just go through and like learn the history of psychiatry, learn the mission statement of the psychiatric field. They weren't exactly trying to heal people. I know that sounds wild because you would think medicine, American Medical Association would care about us. The field of psychiatry would care about our mental health. Like, what's the point? Why would you? No, it's really not. And I brought this up, I think in the last broadcast I did, but you know, they talk about all this medication that's out there and that's going to cure you, but then when they, under their, they give that under-their-breath side effect warnings that last longer than all the pros, like, they're talking about how this will save your life, but then in the subcontext of what they're saying, they're like, this could cause death. Loss of limbs. Your testicles swell up bigger than your head. Like, you get side effect this is elephantitis. I mean... But yet it's going to save your life. Why is every medication created have a side effect to it (laughs) that may be worse than the condition you're trying to treat? So you can't tell me that the pharmaceutical industry, which is attached to the medical industry, gives a crap. I'm sorry. Like as a whole, I know, yeah, it's helped some people and helped some people get an erection at 80 years old. But I like, come on. (laughs) <laughs> for them to have sex long enough to get more STDs that need more money to be retreated. I mean, that makes sense why you would want 80-year-old 80 pe- 80 people to get boners. Sorry, getting off track. Like, this is... the Look who funds the American Medical Association, the Rockefeller Foundation. Like, this is... These are not the people on your team. So to, to trust this, they call it practicing medicine for a reason. It's because they don't have all the answer. They're practicing on you. And you willingly do it. I believe that God created like everything around us, that God created. The cure is there. Nature is our medicine. I believe it with all my heart. Call me a woo-woo weirdo, I don't care. But there's a reason why bioavailability in supplements matter. It's because your body will recognize it and use it. But when you put something synthetic in your body, It'll trick your body into thinking that it's made enough. It, like uh, anyway, that that's I could go four-hour broadcast about that because that's actually where one of my expertises is. But the fact is, just trusting that these therapists are going to make the right decision, are going to trust that they actually know somebody that is like they can predict a crime. To trust that. When they're still practicing medicine, they don't always get the prescriptions right? If they can't get the prescriptions right, what makes you think they can get the diagnosis right? However, by the time that the Supreme Court civil rights revolution reached mental disability law, psychiatrists and lawyers were both beginning to challenge the assumption that sex offenders were both mentally ill and treatable, influential, professional organizations advocated the repeal of such statutes because of the dubious theoretical empirical relationship between a specific mental disability and sexual violent tendencies after the Supreme cruel court ruled that sex offenders could not be committed to a treatment facility until they were found guilty at a hearing with full procedural protections of having committed the antecedent criminal acts, sex offender statutes fell in disfavor. Many states began to repeal these laws. This trend was sharply reversed, however, in 1990, when the state of Washington, responding to a particularly heinous murder, revamped and resurrected its sex offender involuntary commitment system. Other states followed quickly, many in the wake of New Jersey's enactment of Megan's Law. By 1997, Justin Breyer was able to locate at least 17 states with some kind of modern sex offender statute. All of these statutes are based on legislative desire to protect the public from a group of offenders that is widely despised, criminals who sexually abuse and molest young children. They differ in content, but share certain elements. In each case, the state that must prove by quantum of either beyond reasonable doubt or clear and convincing evidence, a history of violent acts, a current mental disorder abnormality, the likelihood of future sexually harmful acts, and a nexus between all of the first three elements. In most of these statutes, commitment is indefinite and the release is allowed when it is shown that the offender is no longer dangerous by reason of a mental disorder. Kansas enacted the Sexually Violent Predator Act in 1994 as a means of seeking the institutionalization of that small but extremely dangerous group of sexually violent predators who do not have a mental disease or defect that renders them appropriate for involuntary treatment pursuant to the General and Voluntary Civil Commitment Statue. A lot of tongue twisters in this. At least for people that have my vocabulary. It established a separate commitment process for the long-term care and treatment of the sexually violent predator. Staturally defined as any person who has been convicted or charged with a sexually violent offense and who suffers from mental abnormality or personality disorder, which makes the person likely to engage in the predatory acts of sexual violence. It is this statute that was challenged in the Hendricks case. My thesis is simple. The entire relationship between the legal process and mentally disabled litigants is often pretextual. By pretextuality, I mean simply that court accepts either implicity or explicitly, testimonial dishonesty, and engage similarly in dishonest decision-making. This pretextuality is poisonous. It infects all those involved in the legal process, breeds cynicism and disrespect for the law, demeans participants, reinforces shoddy lawring, invites blase judging, and at times promotes Perjurious and corrupt testifying. I know that to be the case with a few of the cases that I've gotten to know. It's wild. And even when the person says comes out later and says, I lied, that's ignored. Well, we've already found him guilty, is what's said. And that's actually in Hendricks' case. Like, one, the Hendricks, James Hendricks, who I've had, I interviewed, Actually, I didn't really interview. I let him talk and I only asked him a couple questions. But that's what happened with him. Like, I talked to his brothers. His brothers even seen the letter that was written from the victim that said James Hendricks did all those things to him. So, basically, what you're getting at here, or what we're getting at here, is that you can be accused of something with no proof and be locked away in one of these prisons. And yeah, I'm sensitive to this because I've been wrongly, I've done a lot of bad stuff, but I was wrongly accused of rape. And if I—if it, it wouldn't have been for the people on the ski trip I was with, videotaping what was going on, there's no telling what would have happened. None. It's scary, man. I mean, like I see stuff with generation Z or whatever the, I don't know what generation we're on now, Um, but see stuff, you know, people talking about making their sexual partners sign consent forms before sex, because there's that much fear of being wrongly accused. And that's, look, and the, the problem is too, is that there's people that are wrongly accused and then there's people that should be accused or should be, you know, have be reported that aren't. It's like it's like this double-edged sword that doesn't even make sense. Because in the end, well, I mean, I know what would fix it, truth, just being honest. Being honest helps. But when people live in fear, they're not exactly willing to be honest. And that could be saying, I was raped, or I raped that person. Truth always wins. Truth eventually will come out. And I and I, I and I, I I bet my whole life on that. So the people that are getting away with the deceit and the lies, the manipulation, the gaslighting, the narcissism at a gross mass media level. Yeah, eventually that truth will come out. The truth of the real evil in this world will eventually come out. But the people that have been wrongly convicted and wronged their truth will come out too. I believe with all my heart that there's freedom coming to the people that are illegally withheld from freedom. And the people that are stealing freedom, their day and time will come. I believe it with all my heart. And I want to make it clear, I'm not supporting people that... I don't support evil. But I've been evil. And God changed my heart. And, and for the people that are locked up in these prisons, hospitals, like God can change them too. I know other offenders. I, I think I brought this up before, but I've had a woman on my broadcast, actually two sisters on a few of our broadcasts, uh, a few different times, that their father was a sex offender. And God changed him. And he did the Lord's work until he died. It can happen. But you got to have the resources. you got to get the right help. And it, not, it, and it all starts with truth. It all starts with truth. So, let's see. Um, the reality is well known to frequent consumers of judicial services in this area, to mental health advocates and other public defender, legal aid and legal service lawyers assigned to represent patients and mentally disabled criminal defendants, to prosecutors and state attorneys assigned to represent hospitals, to judges who regularly hear cases, to expert, expert and lay witnesses, and most importantly, to the mentally disabled person involved in the litigation in question. Pretextuality helps create a system that accepts dishonest testimony unthinkingly, regularly subverts statutory and case law standards, and raises insurmountable barriers that ensure the allegedly therapeutically correct social outcome and avoidance of the worst-case disaster fantasy, the false negative. In short, the mental disability law system often deprives individuals of liberty disingenuously, and for reasons that have no relationship to case law or statutes. Okay, so I'm gonna read this last part and then skip. This aspect of the mental disability law system is astonishingly underconsidered by advocates, scholars, and professional associations alike. Examining the way moral experts testify in Santa's courts promotes better understanding of the extent of the prevailing pretext. This understanding will encourage new strategies for for confronting the underlying by cases, creating a new structure and developing a new research agenda through which these issues can be examined openly. How did this pretextuality come to infect the legal system? The law prides itself on its fairness and its inherent sense of rationality. The legal trial process presupposes an uncertain truth as for basis for testimony and severe sanctions are imposed for the commission of uh, perjury. Psychiatry and psychology, in turn, reject notions of a unitary concept of reason, pointing out that the range of human behavior is infinite and the unconscious variables and processes conflicts anxieties and defenses are frequently the primary cause of behavior. Mental health professionals also counsel practitioners not to impose their sense of morality on patients or clients, nor to employ their their authority in dealing with such clients. Where these two systems intersect, something strange happens, perhaps because of the substantial gulf between scientific and legal discourse, perhaps because of the different training received by mental health professionals and lawyers perhaps because of the public's radically different perceptions of the substance of law and mental health professions those who are involved in both professional arenas must consider the way that these internal and inherent differences create tensions that have a measurable effect on what happens when these cultures collide especially in the forensic mental disability system so there's disciples in the mental health field. There's people that believe in like they, they're, they're Freud. Like they're Freudian or whatever you call them. That believe in his teachings and his principles. Well, how much do you know about Freud? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot going on there, you know? I mean, there's a lot of different disciplines in psychiatry but they're completely different belief systems. Like I was saying, like there's half of the psychiatrists I know that don't believe in DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, and the other half absolutely do. And there's studies that prove that the treatments can work, some of them. So what is it? So if you can't agree there, we've got a problem. But what do we really degree, agree on to begin with? I mean, there's a lot of conflicting information in any field of study. Religion. <laughs> even, even the same the thing about all the sex within one religion. Christianity. Well, within Christianity, there's like how many different belief systems? So, I mean, not that this should be a surprise, but to take anything as a matter of fact. That's why I want to be as objective as I can with this because just taking anything as the gospel, the facts, well, where did you get your facts from? Who funded that research and that study or whatever? This is not a black and white issue. All right, let me see. I'm gonna scan through this really quick. There's 30 pages. I'm gonna put this in the media kit so you can see all of it. Um, Much of what lawyers say about forensic testimony is pretextual. Much of what forensic mental health professionals who frequently wear the hat of expert witness say about the individual cases is similarly pretextual, ostinably for reasons of morality. And much of the way judges interpret forensic testimony is teleological. I believe that these interpretive clues help explain much of the confusion in mental disability law. Like if you read about DID, he, I mean, to be honest, it sounds like I should be locked in an insane asylum. But I'm not crazy. I live a normal life. I mean, I have certain boundaries for myself and I have a certain way of living. And yeah, I can get triggered and all of that stuff. But I'm not as crazy as it sounds. Like when you read about it. I mean, mind you, at one time it probably was. But like, I've healed. But so much of that has come from doing the work to heal. I mean, doing the work that God's shown me to do to heal. And that's what's done it. That's why I get to do what I get to do. That's why, you know, I'm living the life of my dreams because of that. It's all God. It's all God to me. Everything goes back to God. And even if you're not a believer, I, eh, I, I just believe what the creator says about me. And I, I believe in his promises. And I, and so I believe that I can overcome anything, anything that comes my way, whether it's mental illness or, you know, addiction or anything. I believe that. And my life is an example of it. I mean, read the devil inside me. That will tell you all you need to know about what God has done in my life. Let me see if there's anything else to highlight here. Um, there's so much here. You know what? I'll leave that. Um, there's a lot of information there, and I just don't want to sit and read to you the whole time, but I want to encourage you to go to livemana.org. Um, this website here, right there, right in front of your face, L-I-V-E-M-A-N-A.org for the radio audience. Um My goal, and I believe I'm actually gonna have a congressman on, um, it looks like that's getting set up. And some other people that are in this fight, I've asked um, Barbara to come on. I've got another gentleman that I'm, I pray will come on who, um, I don't wanna say his name yet, but he has a son that is locked away in one of the Kansas prisons. And um, I wanna have like, people that have been in this fight because I want you to hear it from them, Cause, not me. The only emotion I have towards this is that there's an injustice happening and it's not right. And this injustice, I believe, sprinkles into many different areas of our life. It's not just shadow prisons and sex offenders. It's much more than that. And I believe the people that are in control of this and are making money off this are also making money off of other areas. And I, I know it sounds like a conspiracy, But again, go watch any of the episodes we've done on CPS. Go watch any of the broadcasts that we've done on, you know, human trafficking. Like a lot of this stuff that's going on and you and you find out where the money is going and that part of it like this article doesn't go into the money. Barbara's article does. And when you see all that. Holy freaking crap. It's like it's got to make you wonder because it doesn't make sense. Like, really, some of the people are basically dead already, but yet they're keeping them in there. Why? Well, when you hear about the amount of money that they're worth a month, maybe that's why. That sounds really cruel. Well, it is cruel. Like, there's probably a better way to to work with, you know, the the patients of these hospitals that don't have legs or arms or have cancer all over their body. And by the way, cancer, like I watched what it did to my dad. That is suffering, beyond suffering. And he had good healthcare. What's happening with the people that don't, that are in behind these walls? I can't imagine. And I can't imagine that any believer, any god-loving person out there could ever want anyone to suffer regardless of what they've done i just don't believe it i don't believe that that's the heart of god so i pray for the my audience of the the audience here that you know does love god and loves people and profess to be a believer please read the rest of this article Educate yourself to what's going on. Because I, while all these people are throwing money at trying to stop human trafficking and you know all the other big mainstream injustices in the world, I think our money and resources need to go to the ones that are not talked about. Which, on a side note, plastic pollution is not talked about enough. but <laughs> And that's affecting people more than they know, too. Um, so, anyway... Please check out the article. Please read the rest of it. I'm not going to take any more of your time, but I am grateful that you were here. Grateful that you were a part of this. And um, if you are able to sew unto us, please do so. Because we want to keep doing things like this and we want to amplify the other voices for the voiceless. And we want to be of service to you too, especially for those that don't have the money but need the help. We want to be here to serve and I don't want to charge people. I guess on our website, we could start charging people for stuff, but that is not what our heart is. So if you believe in our mission, please sow into us. Again, you can do so here. Or just go to our website. Heavenly Father, thank you for all the people watching today. Um, I This is not my favorite kind of broadcast because I don't want to just read from stuff, but I I pray that what I read is is opening the eyes of the people that it needs to open. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you again for the people watching. I thank you for all the people that have sown into us to help us keep going. It means so much. This is not popularity-winning work, but I don't care. Like, I know it needs to be done. And I just pray that you continue to use us and use this network to be a voice for the voiceless and to elevate the other voices for the voiceless. And I pray that anyone that hears this that's locked up in these shadow prisons, or in the families for that matter. I pray that you inspire hope in their heart to never give up and to keep fighting and to keep going and just to know that ultimately truth will win. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich like me, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind.